Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, where we equip men and women to be faithful in every aspect of life. This week, you will hear Rachel Jankovic's talk, Hot Providence, from our audio collection titled Table Grace. If you enjoy the talk, you can hear the rest of those talks on the Canon app, downloaded in the app store of your choice. Additionally, it is now the Canon Christmas sale. Pretty much everything in the store is 20% off. Head to canonpress.com and get those last-second gifts ready to go under the tree. Good morning, and thank you uh, all for coming. Uh, I'm not here to talk about pottery, which I don't have actually a lot to say about it other than the messes we make at our home with it right now, and the white Blair's handprints on the side of our black car almost all the time in clay. We have little, little handprints. All right. The thing is about this topic is that it is incredibly vulnerable, as much as I hate to use that word. It's like I'm getting up in front of all of you to speak on what I would like to be when I grow up. (laughs) And in case you hadn't noticed, I am at least partway grown up. I have been actively seeking to represent how God feeds his people and how I try to feed my people. I'm talking about an area of my own spiritual and practical life that even as we speak has a lot of orange tape around it saying, pardon our dust and under construction. And I am okay with that because the reality is I do not think that this is an area of our lives that we can ever be done growing in. I'm here to talk to you about a journey that I am on and that I know many of you are also on. There are so many things to learn about this topic of food and serving, but like so many other aspects of our faith, they aren't things that we can learn without the first steps of obedience. Until we're willing for the Holy Spirit to break ground in our hearts, we cannot hope to see the kingdom of God uh, that he is using us to build. For the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it all was leavened. I'd like to start with a few words about the titles first. Table grace. Of course, we say grace at our tables, meaning that we pray over the food and thank God for it. But when we gather around our tables to eat, our tables are themselves full of grace. Steaming bowls full of grace. Platters loaded with ridiculous grace. Grace in a 9 by 13 pan or grace poured out of a gravy boat. Everything that we eat is the mercy of God to us. Grace means the free and unmerited Uh, favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. When your family gathers around the table to eat whatever weeknight thing it is that you might be having, you are gathering around the table to enjoy the free and unmerited favor of God. Of course, the title of my talk is Hot Providence, which may be more elusive in its meaning. What exactly is it that I think I'm talking about? Providence here is being used as a reference to God's provision for us. The food on our tables day after day is God's provision. And as for the hot part of the title, well, God doesn't so much do leftovers. Now, it actually, I should give a little more background. A few years ago, we did a church cookbook, which ended up with the title of Hot Providence. Um, It was kind of born of a happy accident. We had friends who had a former pastor who (laughs) was very anti uh, luck or any discussions of luck. So they would call their church potlucks pot providences, which we always thought was hilariously silly. To, to, we can't say potluck. It must be pot providence. Um, and that was kind of a joke. So when we were talking about what to name the church cookbook, I think it was my sister. I was on the phone with her talking about it. 
And I th somebody mentioned hot providence, and I thought she said hot providence, and then we both said, "Ooh, I like it." Like <laughs> we got, we got. That was where we stopped because it was a happy accident. It is meaningful. Um, so while God clearly provides all of the food in the world and all of the people in all the world, there's another way of looking at what else He has provided us. Let's look at the feeding of the five thousand. Because as we look to Christ as an example in our lives, this is a moment in his ministry where we see that he did indeed endure all of the temptations that we might, and yet he didn't sin. First of all, Jesus has just been told the news of John the Baptist being beheaded. He is grieving, and he withdraws to a quiet place. Many of us are mothers, and we know what it's like to need a moment alone. You withdraw somewhere for a moment of recuperation or maybe even just silence. And the children will start pounding on the bathroom door. Only in the case of our Lord, thousands of needy people followed him. They dragged out all of the sick, all of the blind, all of the needy, the hurt. They dragged them all out to him and asked him to heal them. And so for many hours, he showed great compassion and ministered to them. And then the disciples helpfully suggest that it's time for everyone to wrap up and go home and get something to eat. And Jesus says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples correct Jesus, as we are all fond of doing, and say, we have only five loaves and two fishes. So Jesus takes the food from them, looks up to heaven, and says a blessing. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples fed everyone, enough so that afterwards there were 12 baskets of leftovers. So here we have this wonderful example of Jesus miraculously providing for his people, but using the disciples. He did not say, make, don't make them go away, I will feed them. He says, do not make them go away, you will feed them. And he took the bread and the fish and he blesses it and he gives it back to the disciples. He tells them to go out and feed the people with everything that they had. And at the end of this miraculous meal, the Lord turns to his disciples, the people who are closest to him, his faithful friends, whose backs were hurting probably at this point, I presume, and he says to them, everyone's favorite words, you're on cleanup. Seriously, think about this. When the meal is provided miraculously, why would God not just make it rain little airline meals on everyone? Why would he make the disciples walk through crowds of needy people passing the food out? And the, and the passage says, I think it was 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. If you think of how many disciples it was, and what size of a crowd this was, of hurting and probably lots of needy, pitiful people out there who had not even thought to pack their own lunches, like had not even occurred to them. They just came. So this would have been a big thing to go feed everybody. But why would he have made too much food? Think about it. How funny is it that there was cleanup at all? Like, all these people are hungry, and we still have too much. Why couldn't he have just made everyone feel full and have energy? Why was there no mention of any of the guests at this miraculous feast expressing gratitude? Well, doubtless, some of them just assumed the food had always been there. Some of them assumed that they were no imposition at all. Some of them stuffed extra food into their bags, probably. A lot of them stuffed, broke, just tossed broken pieces here and there. Some of them apparently did not like their miraculously provided crusts. And the Lord sent out his servants to pick up after them. Now, this is one of my favorite contrasts. I just think it's hilarious. If you think about human magic, what do we think of as being a wonderful provision and, and like what would be an amazing, miraculous thing? And I can think of some examples would be Mary Poppins. 
she comes in and she just sings and the clothes fold themselves and they hop into the drawers and we get it all done. So her provision would be to clean up. Like, you don't have to do this. I will, she'll take care of the cleanup. Now that you think about, I think it's Sword in the Stone, the cartoon where the dishes all do themselves. There's like the bubbles going everywhere. I think this isn't, not just in those movies, but think of any kind of marketing for like a bathroom cleaner. Like, isn't, is it scrubbing bubbles or something? That's like, they're just going while you're not even looking. They're just making your bathroom shine. Like, it's just, and that this is something that deeply appeals to us. Uh, but that is not the way God works. He does not miraculously provide the cleanup. He miraculously provides the mess. He says, here you go. Like, <laughs> now, I, I want to say an aside here quickly. My mom is going to be speaking later on Sabbath dinner. And Sabbath dinner and our family, we've been eating together Saturday nights for years since uh, the Merkels got married. So before I've been married. So our children have all grown up every Saturday night, a family meal, everyone together. It's a wonderful blessing. Uh, It has been super influential in our lives and the way our children view worship and Sabbath and fellowship is this beautiful thing. And whenever people hear about it, the first thing, and I'm not joking here, the first thing that they ask is who does clean up? Like it's like, seriously, wait a second, you eat together every Saturday. It's like, yes, who brings the food? Who does clean up? And it's a really funny question to have that be like, this is the big issue here. Who's going to wash the dishes? And it's funny because if you think of something that is a precious tradition to you, and I would assume many of us would have something like Christmas, and you think of if you're telling someone about Christmas, like, it's so wonderful. And it's like, but who has to put the stuff in the stockings? I guess I, I mean, I don't see me doing that. I can't, I'm at, and it's a very funny, disproportionate, like, what? You just want to throw this whole thing out because you imagine there are dishes. Um, And, of course, for us it's easy because we have experienced the blessing. We can see the contrast of, like, this. it's not worth, it's not not a problem that there are dishes. This is part of the blessing. Now, later on, uh, after the feeding of the 5,000 in the book of Luke, Jesus sends the disciples ahead of him to prepare for the Last Supper. And there are really important things that happen here. Because the Last Supper is where we see Jesus preparing for the conclusion. He's saying the last things that he wants to say to his dearest friends. Excuse me. And this is what happens. They're all gathered around a table, the table that we still celebrate. And Jesus explains that the bread and the wine is his body and his blood. He lays his own life on the table for his friends and even for the one who betrays him. Right after this, the disciples begin fussing about who is the greatest. Excellent timing. And Jesus explains to them the fundamental paradox of the gospel when he says, yet I am among you as the one who serves. So this is, and it's, of course, they're fussing amongst themselves because he just laid himself on the table to feed them. And then they're all saying, well, who's the most important person who's being served here? And he points out, I am, and I am serving you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed when we gather around a table that has been sacrificially laid. This is not how Mary Poppins would have done this. This is, how, this is not how we would have done this. Mary Poppins would have sung a peppy song and taken work from us. Our God divinely prepares more work, more meaningful work for us to do. He prepares the good works for us to walk in. This is what he does. The Lord's table is the centerpiece of our faith. Jesus' body 
body broken and bloodshed. And while we gather every week to partake in this sacrifice, the sacrifice that freed us from our sin, Jesus Christ is there among us, not dead, but living, serving, calling. We do not celebrate this meal of sacrifice without our Savior. We celebrate this meal of a Savior, by a Savior, and with a Savior. Jesus tells his disciples to go out as servants, and not just as any servants, specifically as table servants. Now, I have a place in my notes here where I said, read this passage from Luke. And I thought I had brought my Bible, but I did not. But never fear, this was in the car. I just felt I should tell you that this is, this is Daphne's Bible I'm borrowing. This is not my own. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is the passage at the end of the institution of the Lord's Supper uh, when they begin fighting about who is the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. For you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me one. So he's saying... Basically, I have laid my life down for you. Now you, I give you this same assignment. Go out and do this. All of our tables are reflective of this one central table. And all of us should be imitating our Lord as we serve people around our own tables. This is a profound declaration of the gospel. We love God for he loved us first. We lay tables for others because one table was laid for us. Now, obviously... Our tables are not tables of salvation, but they are tables of a savior. Jesus says that wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, he is with them. When we bless our meals, we almost always conclude with in his name or in Jesus's name. So when we are gathering around our tables to eat the food that God has so graciously provided to us, we are asking our Lord to join us. When we invite neighbors or strangers or the hurt or the needy or the lonely to join us at our table, we are inviting them to come and eat with Jesus. We are inviting them to meet Jesus in us. We are inviting them to come be served in a reflective way, the love and mercy of God. We are inviting them to come be some of the flour that is in the bowl with the yeast of the gospel. Now, Uh, This is one of the reasons that our children should be saturated in the gospel. When uh, the word companion means, uh, it's from the Latin, uh, panus and come, which means with, like eating bread together. It's breaking bread together. And this is a beautiful thing that I think of often is that we're asking Christ to be a companion to our children. We gather around the table and we ask him to join us. We ask him to be there for the little details of our life. We're asking for our children to be so familiar with him because they see him repeatedly and, uh, and that they are indeed companions of Christ. Because every time our children come for physical nourishment, they should be getting a gospel meal. And if your children are like mine, they come for physical nourishment all the time. Our life poured out for theirs. His life poured out for ours. This is not so much a lesson for the felt board with our children, but it's a lesson, a lesson for the cutting board. This is a story that is told beautifully by mouths that are full. 
This is why our normal work, our menial work, our boring, messy, unimportant work is actually gospel declaration. Done unto the Lord, we are declaring our salvation. And this is why I believe that God did not miraculously provide the perfect way to distribute the food or the perfect way to clean up the mess afterwards. He didn't provide that because that miracle had already been done. He miraculously provided for that when he called the disciples to follow him in the first place. When he said, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. He has miraculously provided for the cleaning up around our own tables and the washing up of our own dishes by providing us. This part of the work is the part that is called sacrifice. This is the part that is not easy and can only truly be done in love. This is the part that gives the work we are doing traction. Because why would you do this if the love of Christ is not in you? Why would you do this specifically? Lots of people do it without the love of Christ, but they don't do it with with the love of Christ and no resentment. They do it with resentment and bitterness or keeping track of things that they think people owe them afterwards. So I am specifically talking about freely giving. How can you love like this? You cannot make the bread of the gospel rise with pride. You cannot make bread rise without the leavening work of the gospel. There is no substitute. The mercy of of table fellowship freely given is a powerful mercy. I'd like to say something here. When I say freely given, this is something I have noticed. We speak so about that salvation is free. It was free. It's a free gift. It's wonderful. It's a free gift. And this is, is so true, but it's incomplete because it was not free to Jesus Christ. It was not free to God the Father. There was a great sacrifice. It's free to us, but it's not free to us because it cost no one anything. It's not like, oh, this just is free, period. It was free to us because it was given. And one of the things uh, that I think is so important for Christians to do is to see that giving something freely with no expectation of return, it is something that God uses exponentially. And I've mentioned already our Sabbath dinners and the fact that we don't really think about who does the cleanup. And that's not because no one is doing it. It's not because no one's actually doing the work. It's because that it has been freely given to us. This is something that is like, come eat. This is not, there's no pressure. There's no like, why haven't you contributed more? Why haven't you picked up after everyone? Um, but what happens and what we've seen happening is that as you have a generational handoff and as we start trying to also, so for years, mom did Sabbath dinners by herself because we didn't all have, I mean, we would contribute things, but we didn't have homes that we could also do it in or where we could uh, pick things up. But as you do that and you discover how much work it is, you already love what you're doing and you already have a passion to give this to your children and to do this. We've already received this freely. Now we want to freely give. Now we want to do this. And getting caught up in the details of how much did this cost me is not being Christ-like. It's like you give freely and God uses that for exponential growth of free giving because everyone will turn around and continue to give it. They might not give it back to you, but they will, they will pass it on. This is what we can know. If we want our tables to be places where the gospel comes alive for people, if we want it to be a place where our children will learn about the powerful work of God in our lives, if we want it to be a place of rejoicing, of sacrifice, of nourishment, and thanksgiving that honors the Lord, if we want our tables to be the means that God uses to change the world, then we only need two things. First thing, we need Jesus. We need him to provide the food that we have, and, to, and we need his blessing on it. 
We need his work in our lives to make us willing to serve. And we need his forgiveness for when we fail. And the second thing we need is us. Because there is a lot of busy work that comes with food. We need someone to put the work into preparing it, serving, cleaning it up. We need women and men who are willing to give freely, who are willing to pour themselves out for other people. Women who are willing to pour themselves out for people who might not like their crusts. And if we can be that kind of woman, and through God's grace we can, then we have all that we need to make a lasting impact on the world. You may not feel equipped, but if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have a table, then you have been called to this. The disciples were not equipped for this, and they pointed it out. Jesus says at one point, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are always people to feed. There are always the needy who need healing, who are looking for Jesus, people who know of Jesus, who followed him out into the wilderness and to your door. When we imitate God in our giving, the miraculous effect is not the miraculous effect that our human hearts desire. It's like, Lord, when I asked to be used for your kingdom, I did not mean this. Not this, Lord. Not like this. (laughs) I think that this is because it's easy to want God to use us for his kingdom, so long as his kingdom is really our kingdom of fairy tale beauty. Hospitality and entertaining are not the same thing. Entertaining is used, using things to do something, and hospitality is being used to accomplish God's purposes. I love to cook. In high school, sometime I began to tear recipes out of magazines. This was actually before the internet really did it. It was like a panic attack if you'd see something that you liked in a magazine. You think there's no other way we can find it. We have to save it now. I saved a lot of irrelevant articles in my life. <laughs> Getting serious about how to clean marble countertops or something. Um, but recipes for things like little lemon souffles that are baked in hollowed out Meyer lemons and are just so cute and perfect. Uh, serve about four, take all day to prepare, and you have to eat it at exactly the right moment. <laughs> and God heard my heart's desire to feed people, and he provided me with people to feed. People who prefer me to make Texas sheet cake. <laughs> this may not sound like a big deal, but this was like an identity crisis for me when I when I hit the sheet cake. I thought it was all over. Uh, I was like, Lord, I want this to be more reflective of me. I want to do this, not so much to minister to others, but to enjoy myself. Texas sheet cake is not me, Lord. No, why, Lord? <laughs> and yet now, I think mo- many of the nieces and nephews just think of me as Texas sheet cake. I think, I think this basically is my identity, has become Texas sheet cake. Slowly, I'm working on it, trying to expand that into other foods too. <coughs> we need to start with sacrificially pe- feeding the people who are already here with us. If we are out in the desert of our lives looking for some alone time, then there are already people waiting for us to feed them. And the thing about table fellowship is that it's not unlike a tornado. It draws people into it. It is more blessed to give than receive. More blessed. And this is a very revealing thing. You head into something thinking, Lord, I would like to serve you. And I know that serving God brings blessings. And I know that he blesses this kind of work. But then sometimes you're surprised at what exactly God considers a blessing. And you, you see it, but you're still surprised somehow. Uh, more blessed with what? What do we think we're going to be more blessed with? The more we give free time, 
pedicures. Like the truth is God blesses us with, with meaning and with impact and with real, with revealing new things to you that you are no good at. Like great. That is a blessing, but that was not what I was thinking of on my spa day plans. (laughs) Like it is a real blessing, but we need to, uh, we need to follow God on this and recognize this as a blessing and take it as a blessing when he really does reveal things about us that we are not comfortable with. We often feel like we are the needy people. I mean, seriously, I'm tired. I'm working all the time. I wish I could just get a break. How familiar is this to mothers? We feel like we are the ones who straggled out to the desert looking for help. And once we're out there, we look around and we accuse each other of not feeding us. We assume that everyone else has the resources to do this, and they're not doing it. Where are the women in the church who are looking out for needy little me? What's with that? Where are they? Slackers, all of you. Because from our perspective, we think they have tons of resources to do this with. This is a fundamental mistake in who we are. We are followers of Jesus. We should identify with the disciples We should be seeing this as our calling to minister to others rather than other people's opportunities to minister to us. And what if we only have a few fish, a few loaves, and many thousands of people? I am reminded of Moses being called to go back to Egypt. Such a wonderful exchange with the Lord because it speaks so powerfully to how we all often argue with God. Even if we don't go so far as to put words on it, we argue with God with our spirits. We argue, I think many of us would be hesitant to actually say, no, Lord, because we have have enough Bible knowledge to know that that's a bad idea. But that doesn't keep us from letting our spirits behave like that towards God. So God sends Moses back into Egypt, and this is what Moses has to say about it. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. And Moses was not arguing with the Lord about his ability to do this. He was arguing with the Lord about his ability to do it beautifully or to do it as beautifully as he thinks others could have done it. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like something that might fit in with the discussion of table fellowship? Lord, I cannot serve people. I have not the pottery barn napkin rings. Lord, (laughs) neither now nor before I have been good at staying calm when I was having people over. Lord... (laughs) Thanks for thinking of me, but my grocery budget is tight, Lord. We need to see our tables as a field that we can minister in, whatever our abilities. God has has given us his people who love him and who want to uh, spread the gospel to the world. He has given us this wonderful means to declare the gospel in a way that people have very, very little resistance to. Like, it is it, when people are being fed, they recognize it as love. And if you have ever had a little, you know, pickup evangelistic conversation with someone, it is very easy for them to not see any love in your desire to tell them you're wrong. What you're doing here is wrong. 
But when you feed them, you're ministering to a need that they know that they have. Like this is, this is something that people know they have, and they have a chance to see the gospel working in you, and they have a chance to, it's, it's a great way to get in behind people's defenses. And it is also, you're actually beginning with an act of service. You're beginning your relationship, showing that you're investing in this person and that you care about this person. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that God has been working uh, in us as we have tried to do this through uh, trying to apply to our own lives the things that we have come to understand about food uh, and the gospel. And I have six small children, and I understand they, it sounds good to think, oh, we'll just have people over. There'll be no problem until you're actually trying to do that. And the kids are all needy and everything is like, this is a terrible idea. Like, we should not be trying to do this. So my husband and I have been talking about how can we take this command seriously and take the needs of our children and our life seriously and, and still follow what God has said. And so we've had some wonderful, uh, this summer we did some lunches in the park, free lunches where we would just make the kids food and we did like a potluck for the moms. But it was something that was freely providing food to anyone who's in the park. We'd invite people. Uh, we had a Facebook group. And some of the wonderful things that you could see happening was that when you provide food, you provide a platform for the community of God to minister to people. That you have provided a place where you can see the wonderful things that community does. Because there's no way, when you have a big gathering of people, there are so many different needs. So many people. There's people feeling lonely. There's people who need encouragement. There's people who are fearful. And when you can get everyone together, it is a way that people can all minister to each other without you needing to have a perfect knowledge of everyone's needs and how am I going to talk to this person and what should I say. Um, and food is a wonderful way to do this. Another thing that I experienced is that the people that we invited to eat with us at the park, some of whom are friends of mine now because they were at the park when we invited them to eat with us. But it's about, I don't know, two minutes after they come, they say, why are you doing this? Give, like, and my husband and I have talked about, you say, you know, scripture says, be prepared to give an answer for the joy that is in you. But oftentimes as Christians, we go out and say, let me tell you about the joy that is in me that you have not seen. Like, let me give you an answer real quick for what you're not asking. I would like to explain to you about this joy that is not manifest, and it's not obviously here, but if you give me some time, you'll see that maybe I have some. And why would people stay around to listen to that? And this was one of the first, it was a great way to see that people will actually come ask you about the gospel because what you have done is not something that makes sense to them. And it's like, explain this. Or they would say, Wait, but who's paying for this? Like, who's doing this? Who does the cleanup? Why are you doing this? What's going on? And you think, well, that is, and it's funny because you realize, oh, let me tell you about the hope that is in me. <laughs> you think, whoa, it worked. It happened. <laughs> um, anyways, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful way to see that the food wasn't just, and it was not a direct, like, we do this. It just enabled a lot of people to be together. Um, and we have found at our own table, this is a way that we feel comfortable doing something for a big group that we know we can minister to people that is not as complicated for us because it's not in our home while I'm trying to manage all the kids and do things. We do have people in our home also, but um, for a long time we would feel like there's just all these people we should have over, but it's like this huge long list and it's so hard to get to. And we needed to find a way that we could take seriously what God has told us to do 
and not let our own little objections uh, get in the way. But one of the things that we prayed about, and I mentioned this earlier, saying, you know, that now I am basically Aunt Texas sheet cake, <laughs> um, but was praying about that God would use us not for what we want to see done, but for what it is that he wants to be done. And there is a way in which you know you're, you're putting this on the altar and you're saying, I know I am going to be surprised with what God is doing with this. Like, we think we can guess where this is going, but we can't. It's always something totally different that God ends up revealing to you or teaching you or convicting you of. Um, and it is a wonderful, this is why I said at the beginning, that the first steps are obedience and God does reveal more to you of like, okay, so that's what we're really bad at. <laughs> Which is usually how it goes. That's what you notice first, what you're bad at. Um, so I guess the challenge that I want to bring to you all today is that we would be praying that God will fill our tables with the mercy of his forgiveness, that he will fill our hearts with gratitude, not only for the provision of the food, but for the provision of the table servants, that God uh, would fill us with an overwhelming gratitude for the provision of our own hands to work. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the All of Christ for All of Life podcast. That was Rachel Jankovic's talk, Hot Providence. Don't forget the Canon Christmas sale going on now at canonpress.com.